0: everybody. This is New Books in Psychology. I'm your host, Eugenio Duarte in New York. And today I'm speaking to Margot Esther Borden. She is a psychotherapist, international public speaker, and adjunct professor at Antioch University Midwest. She completed her training in breath work in Paris and her Master of Arts in person-centered counseling slash humanistic psychology at the University of Durham. She works in India, Europe, and the United States, and is co-editor of Spirituality and Business, Exploring Possibilities for a New Management Paradigm. And the book we're discussing today is entitled Psychology in the Light of the East, published by Roman and Littlefield in 2017. Margot, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Eugenia.
0: So Margot, first off, can you tell us where you're talking to us from?
1: Sure. I'm, I'm in Ranchi, India, um, and... Uh, it's, it's a small town. It's a, a, a three tier, uh, the tier three city. And it's the place where Parmahansa Yogananda, um, has an ashram. He started a school here many years ago. Um, but, uh, it, it, does also, uh, it's a tier three city. So sometimes the internet might be a little patchy so far. So good though. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's keep our hopes up. Huh?
0: So I'll ask my listeners to bear with us as we try to speak, uh, Across the planet, really. Yeah. So tell us, a little, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background in terms of your training and your experience?
1: So uh, I, I think I'd like to just start with, you know, growing up in, in the United States, um, you know, in, in the end of the hippie era and um, in, a, in a place that was very materialistic. And, and all of these messages were coming to me about what life was supposed to be. Um, and it was you know going to be a bigger house and a bigger car, and it was the whole material paradigm and um it 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 led me to start my quest, which was questioning what am I doing here, what is the meaning of life, and where am I going with this with in addition to that um, having been born an empath which means uh, someone who can basically put themselves in someone else's shoes and feel what they're feeling in a, in a very pronounced and detailed way, um, led me to, you know, question, uh, what is the meaning of life? Who are we? And, and um, so that led to my decision to become a psychotherapist from, from a very young age. <clears throat> I knew that uh, I wanted to help people. Um, so I started out uh, more on the spiritual, uh, I guess, track. Uh, my first training was in breath work, uh, which is basically a means of uh, breathing and aligning ourselves to the life force, which is breath, and bringing out and clearing uh, anything that is uh, disharmonious in our being so it's a very very psycho spiritual uh, approach uh, it's therapeutic uh, but it's also uh, it cannot be uh, it's 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 not you know psychoanalyst or behavior, behavior behaviorism it's it's very uh, very psycho spiritual meaning that um, the 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 vision of it or the understanding of it is that through the breath we walk into our blockages and our barriers and our disharmonies and, and keep going in to finally alignment with our own soul, which is the core of our being. So that was like my beginning um, as a therapist.
0: But did you know, does that mean that from the very beginning, once you decided you wanted to be a therapist, that you instantly were drawn more towards Eastern philosophy or ways of practicing and not so much drawn to Western psychology?
1: Um, well, I, I knew I wanted to be a therapist when I was really, uh, I, I think I, I first remember saying that when I was 12 years old. So I didn't really have a knowledge of any uh, schools of, of psychology, but I was already practicing yoga by then. So I had... Um, found an amazing yoga teacher and was already sort of, you know, t- tuning into a different paradigm than, than you know, typical Western uh, upbringing. But then in California, you know, I guess, what do you want, huh? <laughs> so, and, and I think in those days, yoga was, you know, um, more, uh, more spiritually oriented and less uh, physical than it, than it tends to be today so it was just a very simple very pure approach so yeah so then when I started to go into into you know the 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 helping professions it was based on a spontaneous uh, meeting with somebody uh, while I was hitchhiking around Ireland Um, uh, and I you know made it to through the grapevine, went to someone's house and they started to explain how they use the breath to help people heal. And um, I probably looked like, you know, I didn't understand what they were talking about. And she said, well, I guess the only way for you to understand is to try it. So um, I did my first breathwork technique uh, when I was 22, um, my session, a session. And uh, it was, it, sorry. No, I was the client, and it was earth-shattering. Um, I, yeah. Um, I went in the space of two hours. I began to um, discover um, my emotions. And the emotions that we suppress and that we um, dissociate from and all of the different things that we do with our emotions apart from consciously living uh, them. And, um, and as, I, as each wave of emotion, maybe there was sadness and grief and you know, anger and frustration and all the sort of normal things that we grow up with but don't uh, necessarily know how to pay attention to, um, and as the time went on, I began to discover a sense of expansiveness within me and a sense of of sort of a force of love and truth uh, that was coming from within and that um, felt, you know, uh, basically made everything else fade away, you know, and it felt universal and it felt a, a sense of connection with um with all, uh, all all that is you know it, it was just it was a fabulous um ex- experience um and and that changed my life
0: wow you, you also have training in humanistic and rogerian psychology correct
1: yes yes yeah so what happens is uh, after that session i went and trained in breathwork and um it was it was you know it was wonderful you you know you spend a year of your life totally dedicated to uh pulling out all the stops within and and you know getting in touch with and harmonizing all of the inner parts of yourself it's a, it's a an inner journey and the goal is that um to become comfortable and to make space for everything that's inside of us so that when our clients bring up their issues, we feel comfortable and we have space for them, fully give them space to be in their experience. So that was a very kind of, it was really nice. And as you can hear philosophically, I'm, I'm sure you're resonating with that. But it was also very limited uh, because I didn't have a degree in psychology. And, um, so I, I found myself working with more marginal types of people and not having access to mainstream people who could get a lot of benefit from, you know, from therapy. So I, I, I went and, uh, signed up to do my master's degree in, in humanistic psychology, decided, you know, got to have a degree. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And how did that complement your, your training? What, what. And how was it different? How was Rogerian psychology different from or even complementary to what you had learned up to that point?
1: Um so I think um the the approach that that I had trained in was very um, explicitly spiritual and um didn't necessarily have a very sophisticated uh, psychological dimension apart from like maybe healing the emotions or something. And so, I, um, I, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed as I say this. Although it was many, many years ago, I was probably a, a bit of a bulldozer therapist. You know, it's like you got to get in there and take out all the stuff and and heal. And so, um, the you know, as we know, the the key principles of humanistic psychology are you know, uh, unconditional positive regard, warmth, non judgment. Um, and, and so I learned how to um, hold a space uh, for people and walk with them in their world, in their time, in their language, and not bulldoze them. <laughs> so this is a little bit my self-deprecating humor, so you can just... Uh...
0: <laughs> well, for people who are not familiar, what, what is it about, what are some of the key principles of Rogerian psychology?
1: Um, it's, it's really, uh, Carl Rogers was, was an amazing, amazing human being. And I highly recommend his, his book on being a person. And he also wrote a book on education, which is you know, phenomenal. And it's so that the there's, it's just the principle of really walking alongside, uh, the person, uh, um, and holding a space for, for what's, for what's there. Rather than having an agenda, I've I, I got to get somewhere and I've got to find out what's it So we, we're not into diagnosis, we're into accompaniment. And we're also, um, humanistic psychology was one of the first schools, uh, was the first school uh, in the modern era to focus on human potential rather than human pathology and abnormality.
0: So then what is the goal of humanistic or Rogerian psychology?
1: Okay. So the goal would be something like if if I sit with you and and have a, a an open warm non-judgmental open space um that I hold that space for you and that we hold that space together as you walk into your less comfortable aspects and and the shadow and all this kind of thing. Um, that, that you, you start to take on the parts that we normally try to escape from, like by, by resisting, and we start to reclaim and um, bring light to all the parts of our being, uh, rather than just the parts that we accept and that are easy to deal with. So it's self, I think it leads to um, self-acceptance and just opening, you know, opening to ourselves, uh, self-discovery.
0: I want to talk about the book now because um well that's that's number one why you're here, but also because it's it it's so comprehensive and you seem to you really seem to be achieving quite a lot in the book first of all what is what was your aim in writing this book um
1: I didn't have an aim I just um actually what happened is uh i th- I just started having ideas come forth, and of course those ideas were triggered from years of of accompanying people, years of working on myself, and years of reading, you know, reading everything in the fields of humanistic and transpersonal psychology, um, and also um, yoga philosophy, yoga psychology, sort of Eastern and Western um, things. And all of a sudden, it's almost like it all just started to come together. And all these ideas were, um, were flooding out, and uh, they, they came so fast and furious that I started recording them. And um, that lasted about two months, and they would, uh, my thoughts would come day and night and whenever they would come, and I would just record them because it was you know I didn't want to turn the light on and start writing in the middle of the night. And after about two months, uh, the, the, the flow uh, of thoughts uh, stopped. And I, it's like I had reached the end, I had said what I needed to say, and I took uh, the recordings and, and transcribed them, and found myself uh, sitting with uh, 300 pages of, of notes, and uh, a little voice in my head, somewhere in my being said, you have to turn this into
0: a book. So... <laughs> and the book is entitled psychology in the light of the east which kind of tips us off to what it's about but could you tell us more explicitly what what this book ended up being about
1: yeah so um basically it it i think that i did have obviously i did have some things to say to address your earlier question about the the state of western psychology and how it um, very efficiently addresses uh, certain aspects of ourselves, but um, by nature of uh, trying to fit into a scientific paradigm and, um, uh, you know, just by uh, being more, more pragmatic um, – sort of doesn't address, uh, for me, what is the essence of who we are, which is the soul. And so I had stuff to say about, like, we need to uh, open up the scope and uh, reclaim our right to be fully human, body, mind, soul, and spirit, um, not not just behavior and or emotions or thoughts. Um, so... Th- the book starts out uh, with, with a timeline uh, um, 10,000 years ago. Actually, 30,000 years ago was the first um, spiritual symbol found in India at, at the Pinbetka rock structures in, in Madhya Pradesh. And, um, so that, so, and then the timeline goes, there's an east and west uh, column, and it goes from there all the way to date. And uh, what we find is that um, 10,000 years ago, which is when uh, the whole the big picture starts in 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 the book, um, the world by and large had a shamanistic worldview. You know, nature spirits and um, people uh, healers having access to the subtle world, and um, there uh, there were uh, people uh, using breath or using uh, shamanistic. approaches to heal individuals who had disturbance Um, and our our um, psycho-spiritual beliefs and healing modalities were holistic they They took into consideration the whole self. Um, And what happened is, little by little in the West, um, and there are various phases, and I I talk about them in my book, where we descend down from that holistic worldview and um, start to become more outward-looking, tending to want to be more scientific. So philosophy in and of itself Started out with with Socrates, Uh, you know. Let's let's say if we look at Socrates, it didn't start with Socrates, um, which was he had his definition of the psyche was soul, and then we come down to um, Aristotle, whose definition of the psyche was mind. Okay, so that's one area, and there are other like um, uh, periods in time where we see ourselves uh, really just taking a step into a different paradigm, uh, away from the holistic worldview. And so um, little by little, then we came into the scientific worldview and um, our view of mental health, which is neurobiological and cognitive behavioral by and large. So, which are um, mechanistic and reductionistic. And my question and my challenge in, in that worldview is, where is the soul? Where's our right to a soul and our spiritual experiences and our our uh, potential for transcendence and for greater, uh, a greater potential?
0: Um, I want to w- highlight that aspect mm. of your book because anybody who appreciates or enjoys reading about history is going to, Appreciate what you've done, which is to really sketch out the history of the relationship between psychology and spirituality. Yeah. And I want to go back to the part of your book where you write about Socrates and Plato mm-hmm. and Aristotle. Because if I'm reading you correctly, you're saying that Aristotle, who who is considered the father of psychology, that with Aristotle, there was a slight shift away from spirituality, which which we had seen with Socrates.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, in the book, I actually tell the story of, you know, this question that was pressing in my mind since always. Why in the West do we see God as outside of ourselves uh, rather than the Eastern view of, you know, an indwelling divine? And when did the split occur? And 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 then on on a sort of an aside. And what are the implications of that split? Who, you know, how am I going to um, conduct my life and um, make my decisions and motivate myself differently if I see God as an out an outer. Um, in some cases punitive or judgmental being or a, an, an, an inner light to which I can rise up and align myself. Um, and so, yeah. And so we, we see in, in, in the book, in my story, um, how I discovered, uh, you know, that one of the splits occurred uh, then between, uh, between Socrates and Aristotle. And uh, the, 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 the the sages of the day admitted to themselves they no longer understood the mysteries and began to look outward and quantify and analyze, um, and categorize rather than you know the, a, a, a kind of a multidimensional or a subtle um, perception of the truth. It be, it it fell into the mind.
0: And why do you think that happened? Why do you think Western psychology? amputated spirituality from its body of knowledge and practice?
1: I, I, yeah, I often ponder that question and, um, we could, you know, I, I think, I think I'd like to just say it's a mystery and it's a mystery that I, I, I struggle with, but that I also want to honor as a part of a process, just as, um, let's say, um, a child has to go through, uh, you know, a, a kind of a shadow period, you know, maybe, maybe like heavy metal or goth uh, style. And um, or, or sometimes in the West, we uh, young people, it's like a rite of passage going through drugs or going through a dark phase and then coming home, you know, emer- reemerging out of that and coming home to themselves. And I'm, that's what I'm imagining. And that's what I'm seeing already in the West that we sort of really split off. And then uh, with the movements of humanistic psychology, which reclaim the right to, poten- to have a potential and to be fully human. And then the, re- the emergence in the, let's say, 50s, 60s, um, starting with Jung, of, of transpersonal psychology, um, reclaiming the right to a spiritual, a spiritual dimension. So, in in a sense, we're re we're expanding out. Although the mainstream paradigm is still um, scientific and reductionistic,
0: you talk in the book about transpersonal psychology. And I wanna, I, I want you to tell us what what is transpersonal psychology.
1: Uh, transpersonal psychology is um, emerged out of the, um, the fact that the, the schools of psychology at the time uh in the up until the 50s um didn't uh, didn't have a spiritual dimension and yet you know a large percentage of, of people in the world have spiritual experiences, uh, peak experiences, deep insights, transformations, premonitions. And so um, transpersonal psychology uh, d- developed out of a desire to address that aspect of you know conversion experiences, shamanic awakenings, um, th- these kinds of things, and recognize that as a normal and natural part of human potential that can be addressed. And um, in addressing it, um, we uh, eliminate the risk of a pathologizing spiritual experience, which we could say Freud by and large did, um, and uh, turning it into a uh, you know, an opportunity for transformation, for healing, for wholeness, and for, you know, being it being a useful part of our lives rather than being, you know, someone who's had a spiritual experience uh, being labeled and, and stigmatized um, can become, you know, a a fully functioning human being with, with a spiritual dimension.
0: Mm -hmm. And in talking about transpersonal psychology, you, you, Introduce us to the concept of spiritual emergencies, yes. which I thought was really interesting. Could you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So um, Stanislav Grof, I think, was the was yes was was the person who discovered that sometimes um, what looks like psychosis um, might actually be um, a form of spiritual awakening that is chaotic, and so it looks uh, it can have psychotic features. Um, and, and these, uh, types of experiences can occur, um, in, on meditation retreats or personal development seminars during childbirth, even, um, running a marathon at any time that the mind becomes single-mindedly focused, we can enter into, um, transcendence and we may not have, uh, the personality structure, the 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 level of cohesiveness in our in our being to be able to handle what emerges. Um, and so that's called a spiritual emergency and it's it's a really um fabulous thing to take into consideration. Um, so that rather than as I was saying earlier, uh, pathologizing and labeling and medicating um, people when we can determine that in fact it's you know a chaotic spiritual experience and not psychosis and um help it to help the person to integrate and to uh you know walk them through this experience um, in their own time and in their own way and um turn it into an opportunity,
0: you know, an opportunity but when you're working when you're working with someone who's displaying this sort of uh experience, how do you talk to the client in order to ascertain or figure out if if in fact this is a spiritual emergency and what and what the specific nature of the spiritual emergency is
1: okay so there are healthy and pathological manifestations of spirituality as as i'm sure we've any helping professional has seen Um, Generally, it's you know there's there's many criteria and there are books written on the subject. But if the person has a history of mental illness, you know we're going to uh, tend more towards psychosis. Um, and if it, um, for example, but some of the people who I've uh, uh, dealt with who are in spiritual emergency have had perfectly normal lives and go to an ashram somewhere or uh, you know go on a, a vipassana retreat and flip out um and so what we're looking at then is not only talking uh in in terms of perhaps helping the, them to understand their experience and to uh know that it's um it's they're not ill and they're going to be okay but also of Um, maybe using um, other techniques like mindfulness or breath or other healing techniques. Um, In my book, I talk about Jinshin Jitsu, which is a um, Japanese energetic balancing technique. So using a psycho-spiritual model um, to help the person integrate that experience. And it can take, you know, several, um, around a a normal spiritual uh, emergency, naturally lasts about three months is what what's the latest research is
0: so so as a therapist one needs to not flip out oneself and and one needs to really kind of reframe one's approach uh, in order to work in this way if, if yeah. what you're seeing is something that would normally call for uh, a diagnosis and medication that your approach really requires that 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 one be patient and one look at it quite differently.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we need to look at parameters of, about is the patient in danger or this kind of thing, but um, a, a DSM diagnosis um, is is going to is going to miss out on um, the subtleties and the potentials um, and and just put a label there, and so um, it may be uh, it you know we obviously need to take it into consideration and watch but um i i for me i've been working with um spiritual experiences and spiritual emergency for so long that it it is fairly obvious um to the the distinction um and so yeah it's about accompanying and you know um it might be um putting together a team of people, you know, someone to do energy work and someone to, to talk and someone to do other, you know, sort of a, a, a holistic approach um, to walking the person back. And, and the person is, is, is going to be, uh, you know, having intense experiences and needing uh, to purge maybe undigested emotions or, um, you know, maybe in some state of confusion and definitely fear, but um there it's a, it's definitely not psychosis it's it, it...
0: Well, well you know in describing the phenomenon of spiritual experiences mm-hmm. uh, sorry spiritual emergencies you used a word that i want to go back to mm-hmm. you used the word chaos and in your book you talk about the influence that hinduism mm-hmm. and yoga philosophy and even india had on on how on the therapist that you've become, and I, I remember in the book you, you use the word chaos yeah. <laughs> to describe what it's like in India and and your relationship to that chaos. And I want you to tell us about that and how how India and yogic philosophy and Hinduism have shaped you, but also what role chaos has had in that.
1: Uh, okay. I so. Just as we started out at the beginning, looking at the timeline and, and how in the West we split off uh, from the psycho-spiritual worldview and descended gradually into a scientific uh, worldview, in the East, um, it didn't split off. And so there is still to this day one cohesive worldview that's been going for thousands and thousands of years. Um, so the center is is a mystical worldview and and it 's not theoretical it 's it's it 's almost like it 's in the it 's in people's it's it 's inherent in people 's system um here in india where where I spend a lot of time and work um, and around that mystical core is included uh, let 's say philosophy medicine science psychology religion but the the core is mystical. Um, And that's what what, uh, brought me to India is a craving uh, for um, something that would, um, for one cohesive worldview that took into consideration all of who we are uh, from the the mundane aspects and the material drives and our emotions and our intellects but also our transcendent nature and our potential for spiritual realization or in, or enlightenment so that's what uh, brought me to india and yeah the chaos it's it, it's um it's really fun uh to to <laughs> Uh, you have two choices in the in the face of chaos. And in the West, where our infrastructure is so well built and our mindsets are much more much structured differently, and um, we're not used to chaos. And so, when chaos happens, we might uh, resist it or get get grumpy. Um, where in India, it's there's such a there's just a flow that's that's in and beyond. The, the, the entire experience of India and, and many Indians and Westerners that I've spoken to have agreed um, that you have to surrender. We can't pretend to be in control and to, um, uh, and, and to, you know, like that everything happens in an orderly fashion, even such things as the Internet. And so we surrender and you go with the and you you have to you either you either let go and go with the flow or you suffer
0: and 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 have you integrated that into how you wor- how you work and how you think as a therapist
1: yes yeah my sense of and I, I don't i've i don't think i've ever spoken to anybody about this of of a a sort of a wholesome psyche is one that is fluid, okay? And part of uh, the work that we do as therapists is to find the the kinks, the resistances, the blockages, the the things that aren't in the flow in our in our being, old emotions, thoughts, beliefs, uh, misunderstandings, all kinds of things like that, and um, ex- examine them and uh, give them some space and breathe into them and. Uh, make them more, you know, bring them into the flow, so that our our entire being is aligned, and there's nothing sort of there's no stuck places or kinks, and so that would go with, uh, you know, the the, the whole uh, the the core essence of of the Indian experience is, you know, just you have to sur- the surrender.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And obviously, when you talk about flow. For me at least, and I'm sure for many listeners that that brings to mind yogic philosophy, yeah, and you know I gotta say as a as a novice yogi myself, I have become a little bit acquainted with uh what you refer to as the essence of Indian psychology, and that's the yoga sutras of Patanjali, but for listeners mm-hmm. who are unfamiliar what what are the yoga sutras
1: uh Basically, it's the, I think it's the oldest text on, on yoga, and it's uh, quite detailed. Um, I talk about it in my book if you want to have a, a, a very nice and short overview of, of the principles. But it's, it's um, basically it, yoga has many meanings. Um, and it can be anything from asanas or exercise, as we, uh, you know, as sometimes we do in the West, um, all the way to the most noble meaning, the core meaning of uh, the word yoga, which is uh, alignment with the inner divine. And so uh, yoga is one is, is the physical, the, the physical yoga is basically preparing us and preparing the body and preparing the mind and getting us into the flow and cleaning out uh some of this you know the stuck places and um, opening us to the to the inner flow and then there's just uh, i mean we could talk for hours on the yoga sutras so i probably can't go into detail yeah but uh yeah
0: but do you think that they are in conversation or can be in conversation with western psychology
1: um i i definitely think so um I've spent my last year, since the book came out, going to conferences. And um, in July, I was at the World Congress of of Psychology in Paris. And, you know, I just assumed I would meet a a bunch of colleagues who have the, you know, cognitive behavioral and analytical views. And in fact, the the spiritually oriented uh, talks were full, you know is standing room only and 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 as was my talk and i was pleasantly surprised to see that a lot of um helping professionals are exploring that paradigm and then you have a lot that are in total resistance and denial and um at war <laughs> you know willing to uh you know to block what 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 the transpersonal movement is trying to do and the integral movement so, uh, you'll just find the full spectrum, but there's a lot of openness and a lot of discovery, um, already happening.
0: And so what is integral psychology? Because you introduce us to that as well in the book and how's it different from transpersonal?
1: Yeah. So transpersonal psychology is by and large, the study of, uh, of spiritual experiences and our spiritual dimensions and potential, um, Integral psychology, so the, um, there's two schools of integral psychology. One is in the West, and it's um, sort of the person who brought that into being and wrote books about it is Ken Wilber, although you know, there's a lot of other people writing and practicing today. He was the founder of it, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's a very beautiful, uh, comprehensive model. It's a uh, very intellectually intricate. And it looks at the whole of human experience. Um, and it looks at all of the great, the the large movements of East and West from past and present and puts them all into pr- perspective in terms of um, levels of consciousness and, and human potential. It's very, very elaborate. Um, so, so that, that was my early discovery of integral psychology. And then I But being myself uh, someone who, well, a yogi, I could say, um, my drive was to find a school that was mystically based. And so when I discovered the work of Sri Aurobindo and the mother, uh, who are two saints uh, from India who were based in Pondicherry, um, that was when I found, like, I had found my my psycho-spiritual home, if you will. So... um, Again, we're looking at a comprehensive worldview, uh, you know, leaving room for East, West, past, present, and future. Um, but the core of Sri Aurobindo's work is mystical, and the, the the essence of it is that the core of my being is the soul, and beyond the soul is the you know this the spirit or the 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 one, uh, the, the highest divine force uh, that that exists and that all life is uh, a, a journey home to our, our true inner self. And I think we can find that in a, in a lot of, uh, you know, I've seen that, I've read uh, texts uh, that tell us the same thing in Judaism and Christianity with the Christian mystics. So it's 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 not unique. But there are some attributes to Sri Aurobindo's um, work that, that are uh, uh, unique too, but it's uh, pretty detailed, so... Um, so it's it, it it's the the sense of um, it's almost like a spiritual roadmap and, and, and a human roadmap of what are all the forces within me? Um, how can I get to know them and understand them and distinguish um, the voices of the outer self, the, the, the ego, which is comprised of the, the body, the mind and the emotions and this, you know, find that that subtle inner voice you know that in, that voice that is increasingly subtle and increasingly universal the voice of the the soul or the inner divine
0: and the idea i suppose is that making that connection can be healing
1: yes it's a it's a healing journey yeah
0: so you know one of the- The last chapters in your book is entitled The Making of an Integral Psychotherapist, which I think is really useful because there might be a lot of people out there who've studied only Western psychology, but they're interested in what they're hearing in this interview, and they're wondering how they can go about becoming more integral themselves. What what should such people do?
1: So... Uh, basically, I mean, for me, it's there's what we do. For example, I'm I'm a psychoanalyst. I'm Jungian. I'm Freudian. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. And then there's the consciousness with which we do it. Okay, and and the consciousness is going to have tree uh, or window says is more important even than 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 let's say our school of thought. And so um, it's basically essentially to uh, I think, as therapists we 're sensitive beings, and we're curious beings and we we question um, so why not open that up to our our spiritual dimensions and um our greater potential and so um uh, we talk about the various ways of psycho spiritual healing and uh, you know and and spiritual development like meditation and and things like that and um, so I do, yeah. I go, I, I go into my elaborate theory on, um, you know, how can, you know, someone develop uh, their own consciousness to be able to work in a way with their clients that is multidimensional, not just theoretically um, saying, okay, we're multidimensional beings, but actually um, opening up their own s- connection and subtle perception.
0: You know, Margot, we're almost out of time, um, but I th- this book has been such a journey, and of course, talking to you about it has been such a journey. And before we finish our journey, I want to ask you what you're working on next, and what people can look forward to from you.
1: Uh, well, right now, I am uh, I'm I am working on a screenplay. And it's about it's a funny story of uh, my experiences in India, and uh, over the the many many years I've accumulated, and I'm uh, compiling them all into uh, uh, something that I hope will be uh, very funny, and uh, but also empowering and insightful, uplifting. Um, so. That's gonna take another year or two, because uh, from what I understand, to turn the story into the screenplay and then the screenplay into a movie if it if it all comes to pass the way I'd like it to. yeah, and then I have notes for another book, which um, cover the same um, uh, the same ideas, uh, but hopefully will be more general public. So I had set out to to write a book for the general public, and it turned out to be more like a text, a light text and light academic book, the, the psychology in the light of the East.
0: So. so we we will definitely look forward to both of those. Do you know who you want to play you in your movie?
1: Yeah, there's a, um, it's going to be uh, produced in India. And there's a um, an Indian actress who's half uh, French. And uh, I, I think she would be fabulous, but that, that's, you know, we're, we're all in uh, out out on a limb in speculation mode here so it's
0: uh... well that those both sound really exciting i hope you'll let us know when the next book is out and that you'll come back and talk to us about it
1: oh thank you so much i i really found this delightful and um your your questions were amazing and open-minded and um deep and i really appreciate your presence
0: Well, thank you. We really appreciate you and we appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Thank you. Take care.
1: Okay. Take care. Thank you.